As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And let's do accounts. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ah, it's always so easy with just two people. It is. It is. And imagine how easy it would be with one person, you know? Just, you could just count to 10. <laughs> you, just, you could just count. We, like, maybe we should just have a show with one person. I don't know. I'm I just... count to 10 by myself all the time. I'm really good all at it. All the time. <laughs> Welcome back to Kotaku Split Screen, the only podcast that isn't set in a post-apocalyptic wasteland, yet... It's May 16th, 2019, and I'm finally playing the Phoenix Wright games, the perfect follow-up to Danganronpa. Too bad Jason isn't here to talk about that. His wisdom tooth demanded otherwise. Meanwhile, Kirk is playing Rage 2, a classic shoot stuff in a post-apocalypse game. There's a little Destiny and Tabletop talk before we get to the news, like that Final Fantasy VII teaser and our own anxieties about which games might be stealing our data. In Off Topic, we talk about Patrick Rothfuss books for a surprisingly long time before Kirk's Music Pick of the Week. Let's get to it! And welcome back to Kotaku Split Screen. I'm Maddie Myers, and I'm here, as always, with Kirk Hamilton. Hello, Kirk. Hello, Maddie. It's nice to see you. It's nice to see you, too. But you know who isn't here is Jason hmm. Schreier. Who isn't here? <laughs> I know. I, it's hard to even to remember, but ordinarily there's another person on the show. It's Jason. Yeah. But he's having his own episode of Teeth Talk, our hit new mm-hmm. podcast, alone in his apartment, post-wisdom <laughs> tooth removal. So I'm sure he's enjoying that. I would I would just like to say that I would 100% listen to a drugged Jason Schreier <laughs> talking like, solo. I don't know solo. why he didn't. <laughs> agree to be on the show it would have been really fun and I know. he could have had a bunch of cotton in his mouth we wouldn't mm-hmm. have necessarily been able to understand anything he was saying it would have mm-hmm. been great it would have been I an would have just trolled him ages. about with like bad opinions about sweet coden and then had him be like no that's right. you can't the yeah. whole time yeah that would have been mm-hmm. great i could have been, been like good. i'm finally playing phoenix right and i despise it and i could have just talked about that that would be a lie though <laughs> i i'm playing yeah, it, it and i like it, it. could have worked okay well, so in honor of Jason not being here, or maybe because Jason isn't here, I went ahead <laughs> I went ahead and scoured the internet for some content that I wanted to share with you, mm, Maddie. Content, okay. What I did was I Googled gamer jokes, and I have looked up a few video game jokes that I would like to share with you. Are you ready for a couple of gamer jokes? I don't know that I ever will be, but <laughs> you're going to tell me them, so okay, here I- I'm we go. bracing myself. First question, what is Samus's favorite food? I don't know. What is it? Metroid Prime Rib. Nope. Nope. <laughs> okay, that wait, sucks. Wait. I got another one. Okay, you ready? <laughs> what does a gorilla wear to the beach? How is this a gamer joke? A donkey thong. No. No. <laughs> yes. No. Yes, that's what a gorilla wears to the beach, Maddie. Okay, one more. One more. Are you ready? Okay. Which video game system is always late for school? Uh. I don't know. 
The Atardi. <laughs> okay, great. It's tardy for school. I got it. Yeah, I got it. Uh, Do you get it? I don't know. I Do you get it? get it? Would I feel like the I structure why it's of funny? these jokes could just as easily be transformed into like pirate jokes. Like, what's a pirate's favorite mm-hmm. console? The Atari. Like, it's mm-hmm. like you just find puns that have to do with a video game thing and they have nothing to do with being a gamer. And what I'm what I'm saying is that these are great jokes and that they should be <laughs> said constantly and they're perfect for gamers and gamers. I will love them. say that Googling gamer jokes turned up a lot of terrible jokes. A lot of like <laughs> These were the best ones. Oh, these are the best ones. There are great. a lot of like shitty, problematic, sexist, etc. jokes as well. You will be shocked no. to hear. So I did some culling and I picked I only picked the best ones. The three to read on best the show. possible jokes. I I mean I didn't care for them, but I guess I didn't see what the rejected <laughs> jokes were, so I don't know what I'm missing. And if I did, I would understand how great those three jokes are. Thanks. Thanks for this. You're welcome. Hopefully our <laughs> listeners appreciated it. So cool. before we get going, I wanted to go through a few emails we got, just some a sort of a listener comment section. So let's do that. First of all, we got uh, a few emails from I think three different people emailed us about forced arbitration since we discussed Mm -hmm. that last week with regard to Riot Games employees um, doing a walkout in protest of arbitration, like aspects of forced arbitration in their own work. And two listeners, Richard and McCool, both wrote in to point out that something we didn't mention when talking about forced arbitration was the fact that a lot of arbitration clauses in the contracts that employees sign up, you know, when when you sign your contract at work, also exclude you from doing class action lawsuits or from signing on to a class action lawsuit. And they both pointed out that there was a Supreme Court decision that supported this, basically, that said that that is not unconstitutional, even though it strikes me as kind of unconstitutional. But yeah, hey, you know, this is, which you had this, said <laughs> on the episode last week. Right. But so, unfortunately, it's fine. Right. The arbiter of what is constitutional <laughs> apparently says that it's fine. Super. Cool. That's great. Um, and so as to why um, force, like why a class action lawsuit is useful, uh, listener Adam also wrote in and he kind of put it this way. This is Adam. He said, one critical feature of arbitration clauses is that they effectively and sometimes explicitly prohibit class actions. This means that survivors of harassment and discrimination at riot can't band together and make a systemic class and attract the best lawyers. Instead, they have to find and pay lawyers separately, file separate cases and win them, which is a huge burden on the employees. It allows riot to have a case that truly um, it allows riot to avoid a case that truly challenges the pattern and practice of harassment so that's basically it. it it keeps you from all banding together which of course everyone has probably seen talk of class action lawsuits um, like uh, think about uh, Aaron Brockovich that that was a class action lawsuit in that movie mm-hmm. um, so or that, the most recent season of how to get away with murder and which is all oh, yeah. about the class action lawsuit that the main character is putting together right that I, was the I more think that's current in the previous season as well yeah okay that was a more current reference than Aaron Brockovich a Steven <laughs> Soderbergh movie show. from like I've also seen Aaron Brockovich, but maybe other people have also watched How to Get Away with Murder. So that is, I think, a a worthwhile thing to keep in mind when thinking about this and a bummer decision, in my opinion, by the Supreme Court. Adam, who wrote that, also wrote wrote us a letter about something else Mm -hmm. um, related to that article we talked about. Maddie, maybe you want to read this one? Yeah, I'm going to read it. So Adam writes... I was very happy that you and Josh Rivera covered the issue of PTSD and working on violent media. This is a hugely important and underreported issue. 
I can relate, though in a different context. I founded and ran a human rights organization called the New Media Advocacy Project for about eight years. NMAP helps human rights lawyers integrate video and multimedia storytelling in their advocacy. Everything from evidence presentations and litigation to public education about arcane legal concepts. If you want to get inspired and depressed, there are several hundred really interesting videos on the archive of the site. Long story short, we all spent lots of time editing short videos involving prison conditions, torture, forced disappearance, gender-based violence, and I and some of my colleagues just got slammed by trauma symptoms. Similar stuff to what was reported in the Mortal Kombat 11 story. We would fly into a place, shoot some video for a few days, then come home to our super comfortable upper middle class lives. But the editing process of watching those shots, those testimonies of grieving loved ones, or images of violence over and over again, it just takes a huge toll. I really feel for those Mortal Kombat 11 devs. In particular, we learned of the importance of human connection as a key component of trauma resilience and recovery. The DART Center for Journalism and Trauma at Columbia does amazing research on this. It turns out that journalists and media makers are vulnerable because they don't see the impact of their work with survivors of violence play out. They tend to cover the violence at a moment in time, then move on. I imagine that this disengagement from human experience is even worse for the folks making Mortal Kombat 11 cinematics or fatality animations. As you mentioned, they're working off of real images of real people suffering. Yeah. yeah. Um, thanks, Adam, for sharing that. I thought that was interesting. And I, I think we can put a couple links to, to the New Media Advocacy pro- uh, Project. He links to a couple of those things. We can put those in show notes maybe. But um, Yeah. I can also say I agree with at least one part of what he mentions at the very end there, where I've certainly mm. covered stories about abuse or harassment. And you usually don't get to find out what happened in the end of it. And that's just sort of... Mm. A, interesting layer to our job sometimes well not your job anymore (laughs) but it it can it can also be very draining to research and write those kinds of stories and usually I need a day of not doing that anymore and not thinking about it anymore after I've done one but I I mean there are people whose entire job it is to write about that and I have so much respect for them and I can only imagine how difficult it is to do that kind of work all the time it's a lot yeah, I've heard that I think in some of the union negotiations at various media companies where that's been a thing that's been on the table is basically like mandatory time off after you report yeah. on something like that. Like especially if you're a reporter covering a school shooting or something, you actually go out there and talk to the parents of kids who were murdered. And then like it's like you don't have a choice. You just have to take a couple of days off or, you know, maybe get some counseling. So working that in and and finding a way to support people in that. This whole conversation, this was something I thought of when we were talking about it before. Uh, when we first talked about Josh Rivera's article, this made me think also about some uh, Casey Newton reporting that I'd seen at The Verge about Facebook's contract moderators, which was a right. similar thing. Yes, and this sort of invisible labor force at Facebook of contract workers who are you know on contract impl- uh, salaries, so not paid that well, mm-hmm. and their whole job is to just moderate content. So they're just looking at like murder videos from you know war zones and stuff, and also just horrible harassment and horrible things all day, every day. That's just what they do. I can't. There was some horrible term even for the rooms where they work. I can't remember what it was now. It was something like the meat factory or the slaughterhouse or something. And man, I think I just saw that Facebook increased wages for all of their contract employees, something like that, or they were forced to. But that kind of work is an increasing kind of work that more and more people are doing. And I guess it is. It's nice that more people are talking about it and just to hear more about it personally and yeah, think about it and more. that. 
discussion of unions is becoming more and more of a thing culturally, mm-hmm. like across industries. Like, obviously, it's more of a discussion in journalism, but I think it's, you know, it's leaked out to the rest of the tech sector, certainly sure. games. So, like, the idea of having those protections and being like, you have to give people vacations and you have to, like, mm-hmm. make sure that they know what mental health professionals are covered under their insurance. Like, those are the kinds of things that unions can at least pressure an employer into doing or strongly encourage an employer to do. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's like an aspect of unions that we don't always think about. I talked about this, uh, the Michael Pollan book, How to Change Your Mind, that I finished. And a big running through line of that book, which is about psychedelic research, and uh, a lot of that is like research into dealing with trauma and addiction and how he comes back to this again and again, but so many mental health professionals will basically say, we don't know what we're doing. We're, we're not really like achieving outcomes like other health fields. We don't know what a brain fields. is. No one does. No one's ever heard of a brain. Right. And we're not, doing, we're not doing enough research and we're not taking care of people enough. And as these, it, like, it, I think when people think about unions, they think, oh, unions go and try to get better wages and better right. time off and stuff. But actually giving people the the like a platform to argue for them for like their company they work for to take care of their mental health is an interesting and important thing that just kind of reflects the overall growth in us taking mental health seriously since like depression is a massive problem and no one is really and the people have not figured out how to treat how it, it as well as too, they yeah. you know yeah figure out how to treat other things so it is it's good to see people talking about it companies hopefully starting to take it seriously and if they don't employees working together to make companies take it seriously so yeah that's, uh, that's nice to see well let's talk about some video games on that oh, note all right <laughs> um, we've been playing it's kind of a kind of a light period for games i guess i've played it some is. things i know you've played some things uh what are you playing these days it's a good Maddie? time to play some games that came out 1000 years ago it is it kind of is <laughs> catching up on my backlog so jason's not even here but i I've been playing the Phoenix Wright trilogy on my Switch, and I'm enjoying it so much. Originally, I was, like, going to do what Jason said that I recommended that I should do, which is play a chapter of Phoenix Wright and then play a chapter of Danganronpa 2. But I'm enjoying Phoenix Wright so much that I've just continued playing the first few chapters. And it's so funny. I'm like laughing out loud at this video game that is 14 years old. I was not expecting it to be as funny and charming as it is. I was expecting it to have some similar problems to Danganronpa, which controls really poorly. And like you guys will remember me complaining about how Mm -hmm, the controls mm -hmm. in the game still feel like the game was made in 2010, which it was. (laughs) And Phoenix Wright has been ported like, I don't know, 697 times to different (laughs) devices. So at this point... The controls on that game are great, and I more or less understand what I'm supposed to do, and a lot of it is very similar to Danganronpa. So, like, you are questioning people, and you still have to figure out which exact thing they say that you need to respond to, which is not always easy to figure out and also you're looking Mm -hmm. at rooms and pointing your cursor at things to highlight them in order to quote unquote investigate what it is about those objects that you need to notice and then that may or may not produce valuable information for you later and Danganronpa has those same kinds of mechanics I think in Phoenix Wright it's easier because you don't also have the weird first person shooter mechanics of the courtroom like in Danganronpa Mm -hmm. you have to like actually also time when you direct statements at certain people and have the statements be the correct statements so in addition Mm -hmm. to being a brute force guessing game it's also like a reaction time thing that I usually had to repeat over and over before I would finally like do it right and that's kind of how the game expects you to play it too which is strange Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. um 
Yeah, it's mainly just had me thinking a lot about how mystery games are designed and how none of them ever really quite feel like you're actually having a conversation with somebody who's a suspect or solving a mystery or in a courtroom or any of the things that you are actually supposed to be doing. But they're clearly trying to emulate that feeling and the feeling of putting together clues and presenting a statement wherein mm-hmm. you have found something out. But every now and then you're in a position where you're like, I think I actually have figured this thing out but there isn't yet an option for me to say that i've figured it out and so i need to like guess what the next thing is that i'm supposed to say in order to trigger the third Mm -hmm. thing that i know i'm going to get to and that's Mm -hmm. just a funny brain trap that both games have had me end up in and Mm -hmm. i don't actually know if that's a solvable design problem or not but i'm curious what you think about it Yeah, that's interesting. That's definitely happened to me as well. The feeling of, okay, I know who did it and I know how they did it and I've picked up enough clues, but the game is requiring me to fill in the blanks, which is like a show your work kind of a thing. Like if you're really good at math and you know the answer, (laughs) but you don't actually even know how you know the answer, you don't want to show your work. And they make you show your work and then sometimes showing your work is where the stupid logic leap is, the one that's impossible. Right. Or, you know, because sometimes Phoenix Wright especially, like there are just logic leaps that are ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, it feels like frustrating. It's kind of like I know the answer I know where we're going I just I don't know exactly how to get there and you right. wind up kind of or like it. in my case I'll sometimes select the wrong piece of evidence that proves the thing that I know that I need to prove but it'll mm-hmm. be like no that oh, yeah, doesn't do that prove anything and I'll be like but it does and I know what I'm trying to prove mm-hmm. here and I just mm-hmm. need to select apparently this other piece of very similar mm-hmm. evidence that also shows this sure yeah it's- I almost feel like later games get better at that like the, if it's the person through a statue and they threw it through the window mm-hmm. and it's like what piece of evidence contradicts this testimony and you pick the window and you were supposed to pick the statue and the window right. was just wrong like that can be very frustrating that yeah kind of yeah I feel like as they go, maybe they got better at making it so that all the things that you could pick any of the things and have them right. work. Right, and they, and they the would beginning. kind of get the idea of what you were mm-hmm. supposed to do. I was thinking about this a lot with... Um, Oh, what was the name of that game? Oh, Oberdin that we were all playing where oh, yeah, you can kind yeah. of brute force some of the answers, mm-hmm. but also that brute forcing is at times part of the game. And yeah. in order to complete each mystery, you end up with this like pleasant game noise in all these games that's like you completed mm-hmm. the mystery or clue and like you selected the correct clue and got to a certain point and you can do that by brute forcing it and you find out from that feedback within the game whether or not it's correct and mm-hmm. I was also thinking in playing this game about how real life is literally never that way and actually <laughs> when you are in a courtroom even you are still just like well we're pretty sure this is what happened but human memory is faulty and mm-hmm. we think this is the right outcome but like our legal system is super fun up so like who knows we're all just really hoping that this is correct and Mm -hmm. the game kind of gets at that by being like you know sometimes people are going to lie to phoenix Wright, and he has to figure out like and human memory is faulty and they're maybe not intentionally lying like they introduced that concept pretty early on and i was like that's Mm kind of cool but there's still always a correct answer that he can get to because it's a video game and that inherently is just more satisfying to play than any real mystery ever possibly could be But I also was like, could you make a game where you're never really entirely sure if you guessed the right answer on a mystery? Like, I think you could. It would just be really weird. I almost feel like it would need to have a jury or you'd have to be judged by other human beings to add that level of ambiguity where it isn't the game telling you, you did this Mm -hmm. correct. It's like other people... You know, and so then your your flawed argument might carry the day or your perfect argument that gets all the right answers might not. And that 
kind of gets at the capriciousness of like an actual courtroom experience. Yeah, and I think it would also be fun if more of the characters' statements contradicted each other slightly because mm-hmm. that is usually the case. And so then right. even you would be leaving the case being like, there were still some holes here and this is sort of disturbing to me and I don't know whether I selected the right thing, but I'm pretty sure I did. I, I just think that would be interesting, but that isn't the kind of game this is. It's it's very satisfying. Everything has like a very pat answer and that mm-hmm. can be a fun type of a game to play in its own It way. is. So I've been, you've been talking, I read your article today about Phoenix Wright and Jason's been talking about it. You've been talking about it. It feels like everyone's talking about it, I guess, because it's Everybody's talking about Phoenix <laughs> Wright. <laughs> and I've played it a couple times and just going back and like listening to the music again. So the music in this game is by mm-hmm. Masakazu Sugimori, who is amazing. I've had almost, I forget this sometimes, I recorded a version of Maya Faye's theme music. I like okay. made this special cover of cool. it. This was almost 10 years ago. I recorded this like all instrumental version of like Turnabout Sisters. It's called... And it's such a good piece of music. I went back and listened to the cover it's and then great. listened to the original. It's so much fun. And the music in that game is so good. And it's been making me think about the aesthetic difference between Danganronpa and Phoenix Wright. Because mm. Danganronpa, we talked about this when you were finishing Danganronpa, it has this like great narrative to it. And the overall through line, to me at least, is more compelling. But Phoenix Wright is so memeable and catchy. And it, and every the character designs are so... I don't know. They have this certain thing going the, mm-hmm. the, between the character design, the music, the visual aesthetics, the animations, the catchphrases, all of it that um, kind of works as a broader context, I guess, on its yeah, own. Yeah, I mean, it's funnier sense. in a different way. Like, Danganronpa mm-hmm. has a lot of dark humor that's sort of based on characters that you slowly get to know, whereas Phoenix Wright has more of the shorthand of this character has this collection of attributes, they need to be established very quickly, and so they're just going to mm-hmm. tell jokes according to what you expect of this character visually, and that's just how the game works, because yeah. there's so many different new cases. But, right, and new characters. Right, but also, like, the music of Danganronpa is not necessarily so much more ominous and like it has all these industrial beats in there along with the techno and stuff and you feel Mm -hmm. really tense but also like you're totally rocking out and in phoenix right like it's gonna be a little funnier and lighthearted because that's the tone of that game so i i don't know i think both they're both great soundtracks but also you're listening to a lot of music in both cases because you have to investigate Mm -hmm. an entire room so it's got to be good music otherwise the game yeah that's true well and and both games don't have constant voice acting for everything so it's you know the music dominates the soundtrack phoenix Wright also i do think the phoenix Wright music like the one that's like that plays whenever something happens yeah Or when things escalate in the courtroom. They have a couple of themes that kind of go beyond what Danganronpa typically does. Danganronpa has a, has a couple in the courtroom when you interrupt. And then mm-hmm. there's that sort of techno drop that happens when you're explaining <laughs> yeah. the truth. That's really cool. But Phoenix Wright's thing is, I think, on an even more mimetic level. Just you always hear this same thing of music every mm-hmm. time this and one specific thing happens. you see the like, comic book letter explosion mm-hmm. every time you do certain things. Which like mm-hmm. Danganronpa does that kind of shit too. It's just like it does, a it does. different font. I don't know. Yeah. They're so similar. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> well, true. Well, the font matters. <laughs> it does. It does. <laughs> They're so similar. Similar and yet also different. I mean, also like Phoenix Wright is about adults 
who aren't trapped in a horrifying right, situation. Right. The, the narrative context is significantly right. different. Whereas Danganronpa yeah. is like, everybody's goth and stressed out because they're teenagers mm-hmm. and they're also mm-hmm. trapped in like a murder cave, but mostly they're <laughs> teenagers and they're horny and sad. And like, that's a right, big part right. of everything that motivates them in a way that's that true. It, it just isn't in Phoenix Wright. I don't know though. A lot of characters in Phoenix Wright kind of are act horny like teenagers and, <laughs> and seem horny cool. and sad. Yeah. <laughs> Looking forward to it. <laughs> Oh man, uh, what else are you playing? Oh, I I don't know. I'm still playing Pokemon. I <laughs> I don't even. I have nothing interesting to say about it. I don't know uh-huh. why I'm still playing it, but it just eh. it's still just a part of my existence at this point, and I am enjoying playing Pokemon. I'm I'm back to like playing Pokemon Let's Go because I still want to be able to combine my Pokemon Go knowledge and mm-hmm. accruance of Pokemon into this game but mm-hmm. I don't I don't think I'm at that level yet and I also genuinely don't think it's going to matter if I can even do that I don't think it's going to make the game better I don't <laughs> think it's going to have any effect at all and mm-hmm. all of this is meaningless mm-hmm. so I don't know but I I will say that like playing the game with other people Pokemon Go it continues to just be fun and we can talk about this more in the news section because we're going to talk about like privacy in games Mm, and i've mm -hmm. been thinking a lot about that with pokemon go and just the weird real life interactions that you can have with people in a game like this that involves Mm -hmm. going to physical locations i i don't know like i i've already heard like stories from my friends about like how raids can be very irritating and people can be rude to each other but also you can make friends at at raids and (laughs) and, and, like there are all these different ways that people can turn out to be dicks at a pokemon go raid like Hmm. you can just go there and be like i'm refusing to play with these people and like i'm Hmm. gonna go take my friends and go off in this corner and like play with my actual friends and no i don't want any of the strangers help like people can do things like that at pokemon go raids it's just like do you physically have to go off with your friends to like well yeah it's like physical locations the game so i i don't know it's just I'm learning about all these new ways that humans can be great and terrible by playing a video (laughs) game. And I really thought I had unlocked them all by playing so many competitive games over Uh the course of my life. Like I've played Mm -hmm. Counter-Strike at LANs and I've played fighting games for a really long time. Like I've seen people be dicks in all different kinds of ways at in-person video game contexts. But Pokemon Go introduces this new level of Mm -hmm. ways for people to either turn out to be really cool or just be really <laughs> awkward or be dicks to each other. And that's interesting and funny to me. Nice. Nice. <laughs> um, have you seen Detective Pikachu yet? Yes. By the way? That's in you my off topic section. Okay. Is that, maybe we can talk about it. Is that <laughs> off topic? That's not off topic. I, I guess like. not. Oh, it's in your off topic. You put it there. Okay. I want to hear how it is. We'll do that in off topic. It's a movie. Then. So who we'll knows? have a little bit of Pokemon it, in it, every section. It's also kind of a video game, but yeah. Right. Right. That doesn't surprise me. Um, well, what am I playing? Let's see. So I played some Rage 2. Uh, it sure is a video game. Rage mm-hmm. 2. Man, you shoot people in a post-apocalyptic wasteland with cool. uh, guns that you gradually level up. Wow. Um, it's pretty fun. I don't know. So Rage 2 is Avalanche and id, I guess, working together. I, th- I feel like Avalanche was the primary developer of this. It's um, a sequel to Rage, which I barely played, the id shooter from forever ago that wasn't very good. And it, like I said, you, you, it's a first person shooter. You get cool powers. It's a little like 
it's got element. It's just one of those games that has a bunch of other games in it. So it's kind of Borderlands mm. meets uh, Resistance, Fall of Man, maybe meets Doom, meets uh, like Gears of War slash um, those Unreal Tournament games. Like uh, oh, Bullet Storm. It's got some Bullet Storm to it. It's kind of zany and funny, like Bullet Storm or, or Borderlands, I guess for that matter. But it's also <laughs> it just it is not remarkable looking in any way. It is pretty fun. Um, the shooting, running around and shooting people is fun. Tried <laughs> and thing. true video game. Yes, tried and thing. true video game thing. The world is boring. The story seems dumb. It runs great and looks good. It's it's fun. It's like very much in the vein of some of the things we said about Days Gone and then even Days Gone we were comparing to Mad Max which was made by Avalanche and also feel it feels a lot like that because you're driving around a post-apocalyptic world and mm-hmm. and like upgrading your car and like getting cooler guns and stuff. And so I'll play some more. It's a little odd because Destiny which I'll talk about in a second I'm also playing and that's like kind of the really good feeling PC first person shooter right. and Rage just it's another one and it's also fun and it does feel like as good as Destiny at times to play which is a feat but I don't know how many of those I really need in my life like one is feels sufficient yeah I've heard so, the Rage yeah. 2 story is pretty short so you could probably just go ahead yeah. and knock it out which is mm-hmm. more than can be said of Days Gone but that's I don't true know that game that... is just very long they're very different <laughs> in some ways it's funny that they're the two AAA big games of the you know moment because they're mm. so similar and so different they're kind of the two sides of the coin though the the doom versus the far cry right the the fast moving jump around mobility shooter versus the survival sneaking stealth thing and they you know the one that feels really good to play and the one that maybe feels less good but is more strategic and that's what we got we get the two post-apocalyptic kind of generic recycled seeming games but uh but it is pretty fun i feel it's kind of a sale game i feel like most people if you like first person shooters this thing is going to be 10 bucks on steam cool yeah (laughs) in like a month so i would that's probably my my buyer's advice not that i do that that often so i played some of that um i've played some destiny 2 they're getting ready for their new season in destiny 2 which will like add a new level cap and a new raid which is exciting and some other stuff and uh we talked about this some last week jason and i did there's this there's a new exotic quest for this gun outbreak perfected which is the destiny 2 version of a destiny 1 gun they've been doing this a lot where they just take a gun from the first game and make a big hullabaloo about bringing it back into the sequel and this gun was a really cool one in the first one because it was the gun that we did that whole secret hunters of destiny episode a big part of the middle of that was talking about the hunt for outbreak prime which involved all this wild math and spreadsheets and crowdsourced stuff so outbreak perfected is not the same there's it's kind of you solve you find some hidden stuff then you do a really hard time trial that's sort of like the whisper of the worm quest where you have to like run through this really crazy labyrinth and there's all this platforming it's really cool and uh some friends helped me through it last night we beat it got the guns basically the same gun from the first game is really good it's cool And then there's a, so now all the exotic guns in Destiny have what's called a catalyst, which is like a thing you install on it that maybe you have to, you have to kill a bunch of things with it to get it powered up. And then once it's powered up, it adds some new ability. So it's kind of the optional ultra grind thing for the really hardcore people. If they want to make their favorite rocket launcher, like do something cooler, they can go get the catalyst. So the catalyst is like for hardcore people. The catalyst for Whisper, of the, or sorry, for um, Outbreak Perfected is this totally wild thing that requires multiple weeks of going through a heroic version of the same mission. Oh boy. And it's nuts. I've been reading about it. They've been solving these puzzles. There's a new puzzle that it introduces. It changes a whole bunch from the regular version of the mission. There's like this floor maze that you have to go through. I was looking at these matrixes online of people figuring out all these numbers and stuff that are on the wall. And it was very original Outbreak Prime and really cool. And just makes me out of, it's so, it's a 
amazing when game developers like hit that perfect level where they're crowdsourcing and counting on the players to figure out some outlandish thing because you know if you put something hard in a game they'll like solve it in a day or in an hour and then you'll be like wow yeah we but really what if you make something longer. that requires a bunch of spreadsheets to be uploaded exactly. to reddit that's the perfect thing to add to a video game and really it kind of is for this yeah, it's always exciting and kidding. fun and even like <laughs> i get my friends to carry me through this stuff and i don't solve it myself but watching people like dado who we've had on the show people like that solve this stuff is really cool and it's funny because there was an earlier thing that bungie tried to do i think it was like neobi labs is what it was called and it was so hard that this no one solved it and they had to just open the door oh, no. and kind of say oh all right our bad this was just too hard yeah and so it seems like so far this one has been a good a good middle ground like it's not too hard people are solving it but it's been fun to kind of watch that even though i haven't even done that um so that was neat i played a tabletop game called sheriff of nottingham do you know this game i don't but i am familiar with robin hood as a character so go <laughs> yeah, on yeah robin hood's not in this one <laughs> so bad. but it's uh it's the robin hood uh cinematic universe right and um you so this game is really really fun it's a it's a bluffing game it doesn't take too long to play pretty simple and the way it works is we played with four people um you're all merchants and you're trying to take your vendor, your like wares to the market. Mm -hmm. And so you have a, you have a deck of cards and you have a hand and in your hand is like some legal wares, you know, bread and cheese and then some contraband. So each round, one person is the sheriff of Nottingham and you hand around that sheriff of Nottingham like figure and each of you takes a turn. So the one player is the sheriff of Nottingham. You go two times around and that's it. Short game. And then the way it works is everybody else, you just put a number of cards in your little pouch and you snap your pouch closed. And then you give the sheriff your pouch and you say, oh, sheriff, in here are three pieces of cheese. And then the sheriff, of course, you can try to tell if you're lying. Mm -hmm. They can look at what you picked up the last round and try to guess. And then they, you can try to bribe them and anything goes. You can basically, you can bribe the sheriff to open someone else's pouch or you can... <laughs> promise future things. I think you can bribe stuff that isn't even in the game and you're trying to get the most <laughs> stuff scored away like, you know, sold in your market and then right, save the most money. Right, of course. Hilarious, extremely fun game. Highly recommended. Um, can just, you win if you're the sheriff or are you just like the cop that round and you can't necessarily win? Um, you get points if you search someone's bag and they have contraband. So mm -hmm. you can So there is an outcome where the sheriff wins and like the merchants have all failed in some way. Yeah, to the do perfect the thing they Yeah, like a perfect play would be for the sheriff to search only the um, pouches that have contraband and to right. let the ones without contraband go through. Because if you search one without contraband, you get penalized. So oh, okay. you have to pick you have to play smart and you can try to like trick the the sheriff into picking yours when you know there's no contraband, which I did a couple times, <laughs> was very fun. It's just a very very like it's one of those games where you'll all be laughing a lot and like hating each other but in a really fun way and it's very lighthearted and yeah, I enjoyed it, it. so that's called Sheriff of Nottingham there are apparently a million expansions too really fun and then I played a little <laughs> bit more AC Odyssey but I don't really have anything else to say about it I just sort of played a little good bit good game you know yeah just a good video pretty. game it's just it's super pretty um so yeah I'm a, I'm a fan of that as well well why don't we take a break and come back to talk about some news yeah Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey, Maddie. Hey, Kirk. <laughs> what do you call the Nintendo Wii in France? Oh, no, it's the fourth best gamer joke that can be found on the Internet. I only like the top three gamer jokes. I won't stand for this fourth one. Just kidding. I want to know. What do you call it? A Nintendo yes. I don't think that works. No. <laughs> I mean, I get it, but I don't think the structure of the joke works. See, it's funny because we is what the French say. I got for that yes, part. Betty. So like we means yes. And so it's the Nintendo yes. I would say that joke is Nintendo no to me. <laughs> it is Nintendo mal. No, no. It's Nintendo merde. C'est mal. <laughs> Je déteste le joke. <laughs> <laughs> One day we're gonna we should do a whole podcast in like remedial French. En français? Mm-hmm. En français. Un peu. Je parle français un peu, mais pas très bien. I learned a little in high school, and that's all I really remember how to say. Cool. <laughs> so in English, let's uh, let's talk about some news. And there's not a ton of news. Uh, we have, I think, more of a topic that we want to talk about. But before that, it seems like there have been some announcements happening, some game trailers, mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. Uh, some exciting hype, forward-looking type stuff. The I hype is building. It's not things. yet E3, but soon right. the trailers will converge upon us all, and we'll finally have something to talk about as gamers. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so the first thing is the Final Fantasy VII remake trailer, yeah. which... I watched you watch. What did you think of this trailer, Maddie? I watched it. It brought me back to being in my friend's living room watching Advent Children a billion times and thinking about how freaking cool Advent Children looked and thinking about, oh, if only there were Final Fantasy games that looked as cool as Advent Children looks. Mm-hmm. And they're basically that's basically what this game is purporting to be. It's not out yet, but it has that same look and style of that movie mm-hmm. for anybody who even remembers watching that movie, which is not a good movie, by the Man, way. Man, you know, so okay, so I watched that movie because so Lee Alexander, great writer, and I did this whole letter series on Final Fantasy VII a million mm-hmm. years ago at Pace Magazine. Go look it up. It was great. I, it was really fun. And uh, she's great and got me to play the game like that's she was the whole driving force and she got me to watch advent children after we did that cool yeah. i can't remember if we ever pu- i don't think we published anything about it we both we emailed about it some or something and watched it and i just remember it was very like watching that movie after just having played final fantasy 7 for the first time it was very like it was specifically i wanted to see if i were a kid i would have thought i want to see these characters done in a realistic style doing mm-hmm. awesome shit and like having huge fight scenes and that was what that movie was. It's also (laughs) like a movie that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever if you haven't played Final Fantasy VII Mm -hmm. and debatably makes no sense whatsoever even if you have played Final Fantasy VII. I did, and there's a lot in Final Fantasy VII, and I guess that raises the question that I guess is an interesting... I mean, no question that a trailer raises is that interesting, but uh, just because trailers (laughs) are that interesting. like a 60-second trailer with almost nothing in it except cool images. But yeah, go on. The question is sort of, is this going to actually be Final Fantasy VII or is it going to be its own thing? Because Mm. it looks very different. I mean, the combat system, the whole thing. And I wonder, having played Final Fantasy VII from a sort of modern perspective, it was the first Final Fantasy game I really played all the way through. The game is so weird and sprawling. It goes in a billion different directions Mm -hmm. and it's sort of, the game just becomes this ridiculous sprawling thing and I kind of wonder if a remake could really do that again like just yeah. have that much stuff and that many different things I mean things I in think it. it 
could. I'm more just like, how much of it are they going to change? Because even from what little we've seen, it seems like some of the lines are going to be slightly different. Mm -hmm. So then it introduces this idea of, oh my God, there's so much content in that game that could potentially be slightly different. And how how many times have people obsessed about what the content of Final Fantasy VII is? I mean, I've super enjoyed Tim Rogers' videos analyzing the Japanese and English translations of the game. And like, even that, like Tim could do a whole other video series just analyzing this freaking game and Mm -hmm. what will presumably be multiple translations of it and comparisons between it and the original like that just there's a whole new genre of youtube videos that can be made about this (laughs) game probably because it probably will have key differences and Mm -hmm. i i don't know i mean there's also like parts of the game that don't necessarily hold up super well like gator wrote a story about the character barrett who's pretty for the past several years has been notorious as being like, you know, one of the only black characters in games in that time period, but also like a total stereotype. Mm-hmm. And like, are they going to change that character at all? Especially since his character wasn't that way in the original Japanese version of the game. And it was only that way in the English version. And like, that's interesting. And mm-hmm. are they going to change? I don't know anything else like the scene where cloud cross dresses which is a completely (laughs) famous scene but is also a scene that has been fairly meaningful to a lot of queer people and been like i played that part of the game and it like introduced thoughts i Mm -hmm. realized applied to me or whatever so like it's a weird place it's one of these games that's old enough that people have all these associations with its original content that maybe that original content wasn't super great but people have like these emotional responses to it existing and so taking Mm -hmm. it out is kind of a weird thing but also like like, uh, some of it's bad now? I don't know. It's a weird right. spot for a game right. to be in. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I think it's f- it's fascinating that the context that the game existed in has taken on its own life. Yes. And then now we view it through that lens and anything modern will be viewed through that lens, which gives them a lot of interesting opportunities to change and tweak and make it its own thing without, you know, just totally slavishly recreating the original thing. I don't know. I'm curious. I mean, I will 100% play it I, when it comes out in 2027 or whenever this thing is actually going to come out. <laughs> but um, it was fun to just see a little bit more of it. And it looked good. I feel like it, it like you said, it looked like Advent Children. So, yeah. <laughs> which is good, maybe, if you're well, good looking, and you, know, you it, wanted it, it, it yes. to eventually look like that. Which I don't yes. even know why I wanted that or if it's something I actually want or if it's just something that seemed like it should happen and now it mm-hmm. is so and now it is, cool finally at long last <laughs> um a couple other things that were announced i'm just excited about the monster hunter world ice expansion i right. can't remember the specific name but just i want to play more monster hunter world it seems like that'll be a good opportunity there's been a ton of stuff in that game mm-hmm. that i haven't seen still just because that game never ends but i do kind of miss playing it because i got pretty good at it and it was fun Another thing that they announced was Ghost Recon Breakpoint, which is a very Kirk Hamilton game because <laughs> it's <laughs> it a is. Ubisoft like tactical shooter. Yeah, um, yeah. I think this game sounds awesome, though. Actually, like I, I know people like don't like Ghost Recon, and I definitely like understand and and feel the same way with like the the political um critiques of wildlands like the fact that you were these black ops soldiers going into an actual country bolivia that was portrayed as this overrun you know by by drug cartels thing like that bugged me that said i did really like wildlands as a tactical shooter like i was it was a thing that just the two things existed in my mind at the same time like this is gross but then when i'm in the middle of it especially playing with a friend it was like just really fun and mm-hmm. i was you know it kind of like separated the two things but it's nice that the sequel will not require me to do that like work like it's okay we just are going to some island and some dude or the punisher basically john barenthal has like taken over this island and there's drones everywhere and now it's just a more generic thing fine fine with me 
Um, what I liked in the description of this game is that it sounds kind of like Metal Gear 3. The way they're describing it is you're solo, so you don't have AI dudes following you around like you yeah, did in the yeah. first game, which is fine with me, especially because the AI guys had terrible conversations and like they made really bad jokes to one another all the time, actually, come to think of it, which as I'm sure you But I you thought you loved <laughs> bad jokes based on this episode of the show. Why say, didn't um, you love that? <laughs> um, it was, yes, it was my favorite thing to hear their terrible cool, jokes. Cool, yeah. So you're really sad that this time you won't be hearing really any sad, jokes. Really sad, really sad in your but ears there was just, you sneak around there were some details in there just i don't know that you have to eat and drink water and like there's kind of a survival aspect to it and that very far cry too cool 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 you get yeah, and sick very, and you very die metal gear. <laughs> and like sneaking like camouflaging yourself there's a whole camouflage system and like having to eat and like to, like survive that makes me think of metal gear 3 in a cool way mm-hmm. and i already like how this series plays much more than The Division, which is like more like a weird Destiny meets like this game is like an actual like closer to Ghost Recon tactical game. Anyways, I thought it sounded kind of cool. I was surprised to think that, but reading about it, I was like, "Huh, I'm kind of excited about this." What do you know? Cool. Um, and the other thing I'm excited about that I just thought I would mention is the No Man's Sky update that's coming this summer. Have you been following this at all? Yeah, a little bit. I'm not a No Man's Sky person, but I get why you're excited about it. It sounds cool. And the VR version of it looks crazy. Like, I haven't had my, I have an Oculus Rift, and I haven't plugged that thing in in a long time. But I this will is get it, it out You're going to go to space in VR. Yep. Definitely. It <laughs> looks cool. And it, it's like a fully fleshed out VR. I mean, we'll see what it actually is when it launches. But looking at the trailer for it, I was like, oh, this is fully designed to work in 3R. Like, you're, anyway, that looks pretty cool, too. So, some upcoming stuff that we can get excited about. Even yeah, if the games that are out exciting. right now are not that exciting. Listen, Phoenix Wright is a great game and it's out now. So I don't know <laughs> what you're true. talking about. That's true. <laughs> That's true. It is definitely um, out now. Yep. <laughs> okay. So um, we are now going to talk about privacy a little bit because I read this wonderful Vox article by Caitlin Tiffany. The headline is Angry Birds and the End of Privacy. We will definitely link to it in show notes. And it raised all kinds of questions for me that I've been chewing on in terms of privacy, but not really in terms of games and apps and our gameplay data. And uh, I thought it was really interesting. So I want to start with just a prompt question for you, Maddie, that I'll then okay, answer. Okay, great. Privacy quiz. We've, we've done jokes, <laughs> now we're doing, a, we're doing a quiz. Cool. Um, so out of on a scale of like 1 to 10, 1 being not concerned at all, 10 being like hair on fire, concerned about it every day, um, where are <laughs> you currently in terms of your concerns about your online privacy, just in general? I'm pretty high at this point. It wasn't always this way. But mm-hmm. at this point, I'd say I'm like a seven or an eight, depending mm-hmm. on how potentially controversial an article I have written recently or, <laughs> or am working on. I yeah. mean, it's it's maybe a little lower now that I edit more than I write. When I was writing, it was higher because I was always worried about my safety. Mm-hmm. But also, this is such an open-ended question, and I think that some of it is like, well, what, in what way am I concerned about my privacy? Like what actual actions am I taking in order to reflect that concern? Like there was a period of time when I was anxious enough that I would keep a VPN on like almost all the time when I did anything. Like Mm -hmm. I've gone through various phases of being concerned to a level that was slightly irrational about my privacy. And even now I'm really play my cards close to my chest on the internet about like physical locations I'm in. And like, I don't really tweet names of people I know very often. Like I'm really, I'm a little bit of a weirdo about it. (laughs) How how are you when it comes to this sort of thing? Yeah, I'm kind of an eight too. And I would say it's, you know, I, so I have never been, so during like after Gamergate 2015, so looking back three years ago, I think I was actually 
that was when I first became concerned about privacy for the reasons that you're saying, because that mm-hmm. was this period of time where we were all kind of the targets of this mob. And it was a lot worse for a lot of people than it was for me. But it was still that feeling of like, OK, I need to lock my shit down. I need to like really get secure for the first time. Now, my concerns are still related to that. Like you said, yeah, I'm not specific about locations and that kind of thing. There's also just my general feeling about my data, which is such a broad statement. But I sort of think about that a lot more now than I used to. And really ever since the Cambridge Analytica Facebook scandal, Mm -hmm. where now I like am really I think about my data a lot. Like I think about what my phone is telling people a lot. And so I'm much more like an eight or a nine now where I was like a six or a seven, even a couple of years ago. Yeah. So this article is really interesting. I'll kind of paraphrase some of it. it. It starts talking about that, about just basically how privacy and our data and data control have become a thing that people care about a lot more. Like basically in the wake of the 2016 election and Cambridge Analytica and there all these scandals, the like cascading scandals at Facebook, as it's mm-hmm. become clear that they were just selling your data right and left and your data was not your own. Um, this article is actually about uh, Angry Birds or it uses Angry Birds. Um, Tiffany uses Angry Birds as a starting point to sort of talk about the idea of these third party apps on your phone And they don't all have to be games, but they can be games. And the way that they have all of these advertising intermediaries built into the software where you're, um, you know, you use the game and then all of this other software is kind of sharing your gameplay data with could be a whole bunch of different people. Sometimes it's like Facebook or Twitter are getting it or Google. And sometimes it's just these like, you know, other companies that just sell advertising data to various uh, to various other people, you know, we don't even really know who. Yeah. And it kind of just, it gets into this the whole idea of device identifiers and tracking your device identifier across multiple apps. Um, the, the idea that children are using these things and it's actually illegal for children to be tracked because of uh, the, the uh, what's it called, the COPA, is that it? Yeah. Yeah, the COPA Child Online Privacy Protection Act. Um, the way that that actually isn't protecting anyone. It's a really good article. It covers a lot of ground. I've thought about a lot of this stuff and I guess it left me thinking about specifically our gameplay data Mm -hmm. and the way that any game that we play pretty much we almost always agree to share our data right we say oh yeah it's always like well we want to make the game better will Mm -hmm. you share our data and generally speaking I'm guessing a lot of people just click yes because you think well whatever what am I doing right now I'm playing this video game yeah but as we spend more time playing a game and this is something that this Vox article lays out really well Actually, you can determine a lot about somebody, especially if it's a game like, you know, they're like Pokemon Go, a game that someone plays yeah. every single day, especially that. But or even like an MMO like Destiny, like mm-hmm. if like Bungie can tell a lot of stuff about me. They can tell who I play with, who my friends are, what, what times, times I play, you play. Yeah. Mm-hmm, how many hours, what, you know, and even stuff about my play style and what yeah. that might say. Do you about just me. wander around aimlessly right. when you're playing <laughs> right. at certain hours of the day? Like, mm-hmm. how are you doing psychologically? That can all be mm-hmm. determined from your play style, I guess. Right. And there's at least a theory for that. And that is increasingly making me feel like all of this data is something that we're giving up so willingly. And I am starting to wonder if we're going to look back at this period of time, at the period of time where we all just assumed that our data wasn't our own because it I feel was like being that's generated. already happening. And I, I've yeah. experienced this with Pokemon Go. So like when I reinstalled this game to play it with my girlfriend, there's all these new options in the game that actually weren't there when I first played it. Like it was mm-hmm. kind of a weird game. Even when I first played it, the entire game revolves around going to real life locations. And even at the time I was like, this is really weird. And there were some things that squicked me out about it the first time around. But the second time around, there's this adventure sync thing that you can do where it tracks your steps, even when you're not playing the game. And the way Mm -hmm. that you get Pokemon to do 
anything in the game is that you have to walk around. Like all of it is tied to a pedometer. That's how everything mm-hmm. in the game is unlocked. So if you don't connect this pedometer to be on all the time, you'd have to open up the app every time you went for a walk. And like, also it's just pointless to do that because then you're just opening the game all the time anyway. So it already mm-hmm. always already knows where you're going and what your steps right. are. So you basically like in order to play this game and have it function the way it's supposed to function, you have to turn on these location surfaces and yep. give the game permission to like track your steps everywhere you go. I don't go that many locations. I work from home. I go to a track that's near my house and I run around the track. That's how most of my Pokemon are leveling up. I don't lead a very exciting life. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, I was super freaked out at the idea that I'd have to turn this on and that I'd have to like get back into this game by allowing it to have access to that data, even though like this is the excuse that everybody says, like that I just said, which is like, oh, my data isn't even very interesting. I don't do anything. I don't Mm -hmm. care if they know that I go to CVS multiple times a week or whatever and, you know, swipe on the Pokestop that's right outside of it like that's fine if if pokemon go knows that i do that but like i don't know it's also super fucking weird like i don't know if i want people to know how often i go to cvs like and who is finding out and like what is that data being used for i don't know the answer to that and that makes me feel really nervous but in an unspecified and slightly irrational way that i can't justify like i can't even explain this neuroses. It's just like you read Cambridge Analytica stories, you hear about the idea of your data not being your own anymore, and you're like, that fucking sucks. But I also want to participate in playing this game and like hanging out with my friends. And I want to log into Facebook and find out what's going on with people and like see pictures of their babies or whatever. But I am also having to just deal with this low level buzz of anxiety about the fact that anything that I do in these spaces is just up for grabs to the highest bidder and it blows (laughs) it's so related to the fact that it's so complicated and deliberately impossible to understand because i totally know that feeling you're describing i feel the same way the feeling of sort of helpless whatever which for a long time was kind of how i would talk with emily about having amazon alexa installed which we used to have and we would joke about it on the podcast i would have to say alexander because i couldn't say it however you'll notice i'm saying it now and that's because we took them all out of our house um quite a while ago as a test starting we were just like let's what if we unplug them all and saw in a week is our life any worse Mm because i've read enough stories about all the things it's recording and the data that it's collecting yeah and um you know got rid of it okay so apple still i'd have siri turned on apple has been marketing the fact that, that your data is your own, despite, as this Vox article actually points out, profiting quite a bit off of the in-app purchase like percentage that they take from these apps that use your data in this way. Mm-hmm. It is interesting to me to see Apple going at people directly and saying, hey, everybody else steals your data, but we don't. Uh, we're, we're, your data is yours and we keep it pretty safe. And that, I feel like, is another sign that this is sort of changing and that at least people are at least they're willing to tell us that that they understand that it matters enough to tell us that they're doing the right thing, whether they are or not, is sort of another question. It's so confusing. There's a man, there's an amazing anecdote in this story where she basically calls Rovio and asks if, let me find what the, what it specifically is. It's, it's incredible, but like asks, Oh yeah. So are you using, um, you know, these, like the certain kind of adware, like ad intermediary in mm-hmm. your applications that are outside of the control of, you know, you or, or Apple? And they say, no, we're definitely not. 
And then she checks with a security consultant. The security consultant is like, I'm looking at their code right now. And they definitely are. There's like this and this and this. And so then she calls them back and they revise their statement to something. It's like, oh, well, we prefer to use transparent connections, but that isn't always possible. And so the question is, were they misleading the reporter? Maybe the person just had no idea because it's so confusing and nobody knows. And it really makes it makes you feel disempowered in a way that drives me nuts. Yeah. <laughs> that makes me feel increasingly frustrated with the whole thing. And so I got off Facebook a few years ago. I feel really good about that. It really bothers me to know that probably Facebook controls data that comes through some of these apps on my phone anyways. And at this point is probably built enough of a profile of me based on like my phone's fingerprint and other things that they can still just know and keep tabs on me if they want. I don't like that feeling. And I think about, so this is a kind of a tangent, but so Uber just had an IPO, right? Mm -hmm. This is some other thing I read and I don't remember where I was reading this, but Uber's IPO didn't do that well because Uber isn't profitable because these like ride sharing companies are like not actually profitable because their business model sort of doesn't work and um, they're going to have to raise rates because they're so cheap. It just doesn't make sense. But someone was pointing out basically, okay, Uber is not making money, but there is something that Uber has that they could use to make money. And that's 10 years worth of data that they've accumulated off of everybody. Right. So everyone using Uber has been like telling where you're going and like where you're from and, you know, who you are and kind of you can really determine so much about somebody. And so all these companies also can look at data, even if it wasn't their primary product. They can look at your data and think, well, there's another source of revenue. Sweet. Um, So it's like a mix of Angry Birds using your data to sell it to Facebook. So Facebook gives them more users to recommend the app to that are kind of match up with the data of the people who spend the most money. And then there's also the fact that any company would pay Rovio or whoever for the data because it's just valuable to them for any of a million reasons, which could be totally nefarious or totally benign. And man, it's 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 a thing. It's a big thing. Thing. And it seems like a thing that more and more people are talking about. As I And I really do wonder if there will come a point, and I feel like this would almost have to be some sort of litigation or law yeah. that's passed, where you are given a bill of rights, like an online bill of rights that, contr- that you control at least some percentage of your own data as enshrined by law. It just seems like... This assumption that like, oh, well, I don't know. I use these things and I guess they just get all my shit. (laughs) Like just it seems like we will look back at that. I hope maybe that we will look back at that and think what a that was such an ignorant. That was such a weird time when we just didn't didn't have access to our own Mm -hmm. data or like didn't have rights to own our own data about where Mm -hmm. we physically go in the world and what we do there. Yeah, Yeah. it's really weird. It's it's a weird time. But I also feel like There are things that are public data that I didn't fully realize were public data until I started getting like targeted online for writing Mm -hmm. about video games or whatever. Like I didn't realize that addresses were so easy to get. Oh yeah. Like at this point it's, I hope very hard to find my address on the internet because of work I've done on my end to make that Mm -hmm. the case. If I had done nothing, it would be very easy to find my address on the internet. And like, that's just a thing and that's somehow legal and fine. So like there's already data about me that is very available to anyone, but I don't, I mean, I hope that the data about how I play Pokemon Go is not available to anyone, but like, is there a dark future where it is available? Because like the laws around, and those things are very strange to me. Like, I was really baffled several years ago when I realized that, like, there aren't really laws about people putting right. your address on the Internet. That's just not a that's not a thing that we have protection over. And it feels like it should be, but it it doesn't. And so I guess it then also logically follows that we don't own our 
data in these apps. Like, why would we, unless somebody? Well, right. If, if we agreed to the terms of service, yeah, we, of course, we gave them our data. Like, I think yeah. in those cases, the the ship has sailed. It's more it's, a question of, yeah. <laughs> could we do something in the future? So, I in one thing that's happening is Ed Markley, who's a Democrat, and Josh Howley, our friend Josh Howley, who we cool, talked about yeah, last week bestie. as well. So they've introduced bipartisan stuff to expand COPA and to try to like get this stuff to away from kids. It's that mm-hmm. same kids thing where the right. politicians kind of find a kids angle and they kind of hit that home. Yeah, it seems like that maybe works a little better because like everyone can agree that we shouldn't be selling kids data, but like should we be selling anyone's data? Right, though? that's the thing. that's the thing. Right, especially when the majority of us. I mean, this is something I don't even think about that much. And you and I talk about video games and technology all the time. Like I think about mm-hmm. this stuff probably more than the average person. Yeah, and I still don't understand how it works, and I'm kind of resigned to a lot of my data, especially from that period of time before I left Facebook and before yeah. I started turning off location services. Just kind of being like someone just has an imprint of me from maybe 2008 to mm-hmm. 2018 or 2016. It's just or so. out like, there, yeah, and it'll exist forever, and I can never get away from it. And the more I change, I actually feel like I'm. I want to become a totally different person, almost to spite people who think they can use my data to know. You don't know me. I'm totally different now than I was, even though I'm sure I'm You hate jazz now, and you've never played the saxophone. Yeah. Yeah. So that is all fascinating. So I feel like this is the first part of a longer thing. I think this is a really interesting topic. I would actually love to hear from listeners. I think we'd all love to hear from listeners about this. If you work in security or you know know things about privacy, or even if you just have your own thoughts about this, we'd love to hear from you. So shoot us an email at splitscreen at Kataka. And yeah, I feel like this is an important thing to talk about. So I want to know. It is. It's a scary but important thing to talk and think about. It's complicated and big and important, like most important things, I guess. And uh, yeah, it's a lot. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be interested to hear what you all think. All right, let's take another break and we'll be back for some off topic conversation. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hey, Maddie. Oh, no. What's up? Why are cats so good at video games? Because they use cat trollers? That was a good guess. Okay, okay, that's not it. Because they have nine lives. (laughs) All right, fine, sure, good. That's great, too. Cool, I'm glad you agree. I think it's great. I love it. I love gamer jokes now. Yeah, they're good. I think that was what we learned this episode is that gamer jokes are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about some off-topic things. Maddie, what have you been watching and or reading and or attending in the theater? <laughs> oh, that'd be great if I'd been attending something in the theater. I, I haven't seen any theatrical productions in a long time, sadly, mm. although I like them. Uh, so I finally finished watching all of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. It's all on Netflix now. I love this show. I just had never gotten around to watching the final season of it for whatever reason. I Did you watch the show when it was on? Do you- oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I loved it. We had Rachel Bloom on the show. She was like yeah, a special so. famous guest. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think I don't know if Jason actually kept watching it, but I watched the first. I loved the first season. I liked the second season, and then are there four seasons total? Yes. Is that right? So you too could go back and watch the rest of them. I on really want to because I gather it ends strong and it's really good. It's, it does. It it ends in an interesting way that I found mm-hmm. satisfying and cool. Nice. Yeah, I liked it. The fourth season is also. This isn't like a huge spoiler, but like there's this character who the who the main character dates in the very first season and then that actor leaves the show and they can never get him back and so in the fourth yes. season they just eventually solve the problem by recasting the actor and like having the character return as this other actor <laughs> and then they have to like tell a bunch of jokes about that and it kind of works it would have been really great if they'd had the original actor because he's so great but the replacement guy is also good so uh, yeah, it's just like a um... thing about the fourth season that's really strange and funny but the show itself breaks the fourth wall in so many ways that they kind of just force it to work in a way that only that show could do. So yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I feel like I heard there was drama or something. I'm looking him up. His name is uh, Santino Fontana, who played Greg in the initial season, who's amazing. I thought he was so good and loved him as well and really missed him when he left. Me too, yeah. He was Hans in Frozen. He's like doing, he's like a Broadway guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like actually singing on on the stage in the theater. Yeah, yeah, he's doing the thing. But yeah, Settle For Me. And what's the song where he's really, he's just like, whatever i don't care like it's like a grunge song and it's just <laughs> yeah. him talking to the kid. He's like so you got a baby cool good for you <laughs> like the whole song is super good yeah oh i could really if i wanted character. to but i could if i wanted to <laughs> like it's just him being a slacker yeah, yeah i liked, like i, liked I enjoyed season four but i kept like going back and watching old videos of the previous mm-hmm. actor because i was just every time i saw the actor imitating him i would just be like uh, you're almost there, but you're not quite it. And then, like, to cleanse mm-hmm. my palate, I'd have to go back and, like, look up an old Greg song and be like, yeah, that's what he sounds like. That's the character. Yeah. It was a really weird way to experience the season, but I know they were doing the best they could because they couldn't get this actor either for right, right. drama reasons or, or like, whatever, literal theatrical reasons. drama reasons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. I'll watch the rest at some point, definitely, because I really, really like that show. It's yeah. And the other boxes. thing that I saw was mm. Detective Pikachu. movie that exists it sure does i enjoyed this movie it is not deep it is not making any grand statements at Mm -hmm. all it is just a really fun movie that has a lot of live action pokemon in it and there are a lot of moments where like a live action pokemon will be doing a thing and you'll be like that's funny like squirtles like (laughs) helping firefighters put out a fire and you'll like see a bunch of squirtles and you're like yeah squirtles (laughs) on the news for putting out a fire that is what a squirtle would do it's like that but like 600 times in the length of a movie Mm -hmm. and it's really Mm -hmm. great but I will also say that I made a small mistake when attending this film which is that my girlfriend and I got there very early which was not the mistake we got there like 45 minutes early to see this movie and we walked into the cinema and I looked at the screen, she didn't, and I saw the reveal of a character who only shows up at the very end of the film, and I was completely baffled by what I was seeing and didn't understand it and was like, I don't understand what I'm looking at, that's really weird. But then once I saw the entire movie, I re- it was and it all fell into place, I was like, oh, I'm kind of sad that I saw that. Uh. But you got spoiled ahead of time. It wasn't like being spoiled. It was more just I was like, what am I looking at? And then that image was in mm. my head throughout the movie and then finally made sense at the end in a way that was kind of sad. So don't be me and don't 
walk okay. into a movie and watch the end of it and then I'll go back and watch the movie. Like, I don't know why that oh, happened. I like, you got there so early, you <laughs> yes. saw the end yes. of it. Yes, yes. Oh, shit. Okay, I misunderstood. I <laughs> so, thought it was like, like the trivia don't thing. don't be an idiot and walk got into it. a movie and watch the end of it and then walk out again and then expect that the movie will not be in some way slightly ruined for you. I thought, so I thought you were going to say that the mistake you made was that you went sober. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, well, honestly, going to see this movie high would probably be fun, but mm-hmm. Yeah, we didn't do that. We went sober. <laughs> like, just went stone cold Pokemon fans. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, if I, so I am not a massive Pokemon fan. I like don't know all the deep cuts. I just know the main ones. I haven't really mm-hmm. watched the movie, the animated movie or the show. Sure. Like, I know the basics. Would I still get as much out of this movie or is it really uh, the primary thing that I you mean, see I mean, a lot of it is funny. look at this thing you recognize. That is mm-hmm. what a lot of it is. Like, it's okay. also a funny movie, but. I would say the strength of almost all of it is mm-hmm. contingent upon you caring about what Pokemon are fundamentally. Right. Maybe more so, of a renter. Maybe yeah, more of a renter. Maybe. For me. I still haven't seen us. I mean, I'm like way behind. I know, awesome me too. I, I wanted to see it, but it looks really scary. It does and look I'm, kind of intense. I'm a baby. So Yeah. No, I hear you. I'm with you. Anyway, what have you been watching slash reading? So I've been watching slash reading a few things. I think all of mine are watching. Let me, I'll, I'll do, maybe I'll do the short ones first. So I've been watching The Americans finally, finishing The Americans. Cool. Which I'm on the second to last season and there's one more season. Have you watched this show? I saw the first season and then okay. I just, uh, for no reason I didn't continue. Yeah. I can see that. <laughs> it's a good it's show. Kind of a, it's, a, it's a great show. It's a grueling show. And so I have had periods where I come and watch it and then I'm like, woof, that's mm-hmm. a lot. It's a fascinating show. It's kind of right now, especially because they're, um, this isn't a major spoiler, but also this show's old at this point, but their daughter, their oldest daughter finds out and there's kind of a plot line where they're Mm. working with her and like explaining slowly, kind of just drawing her in and not telling her the full, you know, we murder people for the Russian government and we're really scary, but they start just being (laughs) like, oh, we're like, you know, we're peaceful we're diplomats. We're just not supposed to be here. And then gradually she starts to see what they're capable of. And, Mm -hmm. and it's fun. it is. It's and interesting by fun, because I mean it's terrifying. It is intense, and they're all great actors. God, the cast on the show is so good, and it's really kind of about how parents manipulate their kids. Because like parents mm. just do that. I mean, that's just part of being a parent. I know this only from watching my sister be a be a parent and watching my nieces grow up. But there's so much kind of manipulating your kids, and it's not like bad. It does. It, that sounds bad when you say manipulating. You're but teaching just, you, them how to be people, and sometimes yeah, you tell them things, and you don't tell them other some things, and you kind of sculpting is involved. You, yes. And <laughs> And so now they're kind of sculpting their daughter into being a spy, basically. And so mm. it takes on a whole new thing, but it's still about that same fundamental type of action. So anyways, I haven't finished. I'll have more thoughts when I finish. It's a great show. I started rewatching the Matrix trilogy. Cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I like just rewatch the Matrix sometimes, you know, because it's just an awesome movie. Same. And it's really I rewatched it on watch. a plane yeah. recently. <laughs> great yeah. film. Great plane movie. Yeah, and especially since I've seen the sort of critical reads of it as a trans narrative and that mm-hmm. stuff, I think is so cool. And watching it, man, it makes that the best sequence for me in the whole trilogy. The best fight scene is Agent Smith versus Neo in the train. Mm. I mean, there's nothing more serious than that. And then knowing the backstory behind that is like, and all of just like what the train symbolizes and how intense that is. And like, man, that's really cool. An amazing movie. The sequel? So I'm midway through Matrix Reloaded. Cool. And like, I know everyone hates that movie and I don't even remember the third one, but I think I am going to watch it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of fun to watch the second one now for, in some ways. And just to sort of, 
I don't know, reflect on how much time has passed and go into it with fewer preconceptions and not really care about the stuff that they're introducing. It's it's uh, frustrating in a lot of ways because they just play so fast and loose with the rules of the Matrix and how anything works. There's just this feeling eventually that they, it's kind of like what, how Game of Thrones treats Magic 2 where it's just you never know what's going to happen and they throw mm-hmm. new stuff on and then, oh, okay, now we, this can happen and that can happen. I have no idea the stakes or what's even going on. But it's also like visually striking and kind of the characters are great and it's subverting some aspects of the initial narrative that don't work as well now like the whole like you are the one and all the other people aren't even humans and you can yeah. just kill them which yeah. makes me much more uncomfortable now watching it the part where they go in the badass like lobby scene in the first movie where they kill all the cops mm-hmm. I'm kind of like those were just people I mean yeah they're in the matrix but like they were living their lives man and you guys just killed them and I just didn't even make a big deal out of it which you know whatever 20 years later plays a little differently so I do like that the second and third movies kind of take that apart a little bit and say you know you're not really the chosen one like there are a bunch of chosen ones and this whole thing is kind of bullshit and actually so I'll watch a little more of it it's it's definitely been entertaining um really briefly the most recent episode of Barry there's one episode of this season left was totally wild this show is like really good um sarah goldberg who plays sally the actress she's this aspiring actress she is i mentioned her last time i talked about this she is incredible on this most recent episode she does this like long take monologue that is unbelievable like where it's like she's playing such a thankless role she's this like really insecure wannabe actress in hollywood who it's just such a type of role and that's so not fun to play and it has all these meta layers for her I'm sure also as a you know I'd never heard actual of actual actress the show. Yeah, yeah 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 and like and it's about her frustration with not getting the part and how easy it is for Barry and like fuck it was amazing like I was just like staring at the screen like oh my gosh like a minute into this like I don't know how long it was like five minute unbroken monologue I was like jeez this is serious and so it's just become an amazing and interesting show and I'm psyched for the finale so Barry cool good. maybe I'll finally watch it <laughs> it's good it's uh yeah it's it's a trip anyway um Last thing I've started watching, totally unexpectedly, is Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. <laughs> Great. Um, have you watched Full Metal Alchemist? I haven't. I watched the original show, like okay. most humans, and mm-hmm. I enjoyed I it. The end of the original show is really friggin' weird, and everyone okay. knows that because they finished the manga later and they had to write an ending. Gita wrote a whole article about how Game of Thrones is in the same situation as this, where the original Full mm. Metal Alchemist had to write the end of the show before the books were done, and then later there was right. this other Full Metal Alchemist the one you're watching that came out later after the manga was done and they could just make the actual show the way it's supposed to end but it's interesting because like the original show introduces all the characters and concepts like way better in those initial seasons and those seasons are super strong and then the ending Mm. like doesn't make any goddamn sense at all (laughs) because they had to like come up with something and it's bad and that's so interesting but yeah so I googled which one should I watch, right? And, and of then, course, and people the said consensus this one. was completely like, "Don't even bother with the first one." Like, there's five seasons of Brotherhood, and that's because that one is the most directly based on the manga. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting though because usually people will at least say like the first couple season of seasons mm-hmm. of the original one are still really good, and like no one has managed to come up with like a watch order that like works so that you could watch. Yeah, I basically made the call. I was like, look, yeah. all right, I don't even know if I'm going to like this show. I'm just sure. going to start with, there's a whatever, 50, 60, 75 or something episodes of this. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to start and see how it is. First off, it's awesome. Um, yeah. I'm really into it. I think it's like, it's way better than I was expecting. It oh, like, yeah. vastly exceeded my expectations and is super cool. The reason I started watching it was, and I'll 
I'll link this in show notes, um, is there was this Hello Future Me, which is a YouTube channel that I don't know anything about, and it was in my recommended algo bar, cool. which has and gotten YouTube's better lately. recommended algorithm can always be trusted to <laughs> you give You know, it's funny. Things. I worry about my algorithm all the time, speaking of your data. Like, mm-hmm. I, I try to never click on, like, angry right. gamer of course, videos, because the minute you click on one of those. The end of you. <laughs> right. Then all you've got is, like, oh, the microtransactions. It's like, okay, I don't like microtransactions either, but I don't need 75 videos about it. Mm-hmm. But so, but I've been watching a lot more music YouTube and a lot more music stuff, and that's almost as a way to like make my algorithm better. And so then I get recommended all these what Bach was really doing with this chorale or something. And it's cool. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I want to watch that. Nice. That is relevant to my interests. I should get into Bach YouTubers. That sounds like it'd be really good for me. Mentally. They're out there and they're uh, they're pretty fun to watch. Cool. So this, I don't know what it was that re- recommended this. This was a video about hard magic in Sanderson's Laws of Magic. Have you heard of this at all? <laughs> I mean, I can guess what it is, like as in the fantasy books. Or yeah, Brandon Sanderson. Like, he's he is a Hugo Award winning writer of the Cosmere universe, which I don't know those books, but yeah, he's a he's a pretty well known uh, fantasy writer. So this video basically was about um, about uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender, which is what pulled me in. My beloved Avatar: The Last Airbender, Full mm-hmm. Metal Alchemist, and Harry Potter, and other and sort of like judging magic along a hard to soft spectrum. Mm-hmm. And actually, it relates sort of to the Matrix too, where like with the Matrix, it's very soft magic, if you can call it magic, because things just happen. Like people just get new abilities and then new things show up and they're like, oh, yeah, these are vampires because like vampires are from old code. And I don't know, this guy can fight really well because he's like a program and Neo now can do this thing. And now the Matrix follows him outside in the real world. Like it's just constantly changing. Yeah. And then Avatar, which like one of the things I love about Avatar, the many things that I love about it is it's such a sturdy show on multiple levels, sturdy narratively, like really sturdy. And the mm-hmm. lore is super sturdy. They never... They, they follow these rules. This guy's Sanderson's rules. Like the first one is your ability to solve a problem with magic is directly proportional to your audience's understanding of the magic, which I think is like a great rule. If your audience doesn't understand what's going to happen, you can't just have magic fix the thing because mm-hmm. then they'll be like, well, what the fuck? I didn't even know that could happen. It needs to right. be exciting for them to be like, oh, well, oh, I they, I could have thought of that. Of course, they came up with this ingenious thing. Mm-hmm. And um, so I like that one, you know, or like another one is that limitations are more important than powers. So mm-hmm. limitations are kind of the things that define you his example is like superman has powers he can fly he's super strong but like that's not that interesting but kryptonite is interesting because kryptonite is like from his home planet and kind of like gets at his whole story and explains like what makes him weak so that's just like a storytelling thing some of this stuff in this video actually is like from the perspective of like how to write a good story which i right. actually find a kind of weird angle mm-hmm. because i guarantee that most people watching it don't write stories i never like the advice style of criticism but it's yeah it's it was still a cool video and it and watching it basically this guy is like so the way that the alchemy works in full metal alchemy is like this whole like the mm-hmm. rule of sort of equal you know you have to give and take and everything yep. has to work a certain way and they explain it really well and i started watching it and i was like oh this is really cool I really Sounds like, like a cool show. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I do, I do like that, and I like that about Avatar too. Yeah. Um. And so I, yeah. Anyway, I started watching it. Um. And was ultra into it. I mean, mm-hmm. holy crap! Like the it's great. Second, and the way magic yeah. works in that series is really cool. Really and like, cool. Just a yes. great idea that yep. I would never have thought of. It. I don't no, know how agree. anyone came up with it, but it's wild and really cool. Yeah, it reminds me of those Rothfuss books, which I actually don't mm-hmm. like, like the Wise Man's Fear. I don't fear. either. I read yeah, them, okay. and I don't like them either. One day, maybe we can have a conversation. I was actually just playing with some of my Destiny oh friends last night, and those came People up, and I was like, People love those books. I have to be real yep. careful about what I say. I know, me too. But I was like, do I need to read a book about how the most awesome dude ever was awesome again? Like, that's mm. basically... I think there's also a thing where musicians... <laughs> 
musicians like have their own feelings about oh, those yeah. books because and the like, way music is presented in them is mm-hmm. like so fans fanish I know, and like it's not like music the way music is. Fanfic. It's, yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. And yeah. like I'm the kind of here for that. Oh man, okay, yeah. we're just gonna talk about it for a second. <laughs> Whatever, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. We can talk about the name of the wind. This is cool. the name of the wind by by Patrick Rothfuss. Is that his yes, name? Yes, yes, Patrick it is. Rothfuss. And like well-written like cool books and i totally don't begrudge people for liking them there were like specific things about me them that bugged me i really (laughs) do like some aspects of the way that this produced this these books depict music so this guy is like the main character is basically just the most awesome dude ever and Uh that's actually my main gripe is i'm like i'm not that interested he's great at everything he tries like he's he's like the stereotype of a mary sue character like every he has some problems in life but he's so clever he can just find a way out of seemingly all of them yeah Yeah. and every arc is basically well how is he gonna get out of this one and then he does somehow (laughs) Um, yeah. But he's like the greatest loot player who ever lived. I know. And clearly, like he plays um, the loot and people are like losing their goddamn yeah, minds they like hearing die him. They and start crying, crying and yeah. like, oh, if yeah. he can only manage to get his hands on a loot, then people will just fall yes. over in front of him at, and at like, his skills. There's definitely, I mean, so it seems like the author's probably a musician and there's this element of like music fanfic and wish fulfillment uh-huh. of just like, what if I could just be that incredible? I know. Which is like yeah. cool and fun in a cheap thrills way. There's this sequence where he's in the woods and he like learns to play the, he just plays the lute alone with the, <laughs> with the animals for like a whole chapter. And it's yep. so ridiculous, but it's also kind of fun. There. The music actually isn't at the heart of my <laughs> it's gripes. Me either. It's just one of many things about the book. I more have issues with like the main female character in that book, who I yeah. think is named Denna. I might be misremembering. It's something like that. That sounds And she's right. she's the lengthy will they won't they romance of those books. And it's always like, oh, the one thing he can't figure out is this woman <laughs> who doesn't seem that into him, but at times does. And like, it's one of the main overarching storylines in the books. And mm-hmm. like. She just never seemed like a person to me. She always yeah. seems just like this weird, like amalgamation of like interactions that you might have with a woman who's not interested in you, but is like kind of flirtatious with you. And like mm-hmm. she, her life always seems so much more interesting than the main characters. Like she often <laughs> has to use her sexuality to like get out of horrible situations. And then the main character will like hear about it and be like, oh, my precious sweet <laughs> Denna had to use her sexuality in this horrific way. I can't believe she's had to do this. And I'm like, really? Cause I want to read about that shit. Like Denna's like fucking <laughs> figuring yeah, things out and like doing courtly intrigue and like making a living in this like fake ass medieval world where women mm-hmm. don't have rights like sure fine it's based on like our assumptions about what the medieval sure, world was sure. like okay okay but like her life always seems so much more interesting and we just mm-hmm. get all these little pieces of it through the lens of the main character watching her and lusting after mm-hmm. her and wanting to have her basically mm-hmm. and like she's a free spirit and is seemingly not interested and you know it's gonna end with them together and that just isn't <laughs> something I'm personally interested in so I was fundamentally frustrated by those books but I mostly the that. loot stuff all the loot stuff I was like you're like this oh my god with this the isn't loot. how being a musician is <laughs> yeah I started great, to feel a little but... embarrassed by it I'm like look I love music like professionally at this point I love yeah, music but like I feel great. a little embarrassed by how much this book loves music <laughs> like no one should love so music so much and it's like the much. way that people react to music is oh anyway also there's so a part where the main character like <laughs> sleeps with a sexy elf at one point and that's that's usually the part that people cite as going too far for them do you remember that plot line I think I've forgotten some of these books They're, yeah 
I think I stopped reading the second one. He starts telling a story, and then it was just this endless sequence of him telling a story within a story. <laughs> and I was like, I don't care. You may anymore. have you may I, have bailed before he slept with the elf, but there's maybe. like this elf who symbolizes like the pinnacle of hotness, and he like manages to sleep with okay. her. It's great. This is like it's the, the great like the fox, like the fox sequence in the magicians. It's the like, are you in or are you out? Part yeah, of this it's. Book. I just usually I see people say like, I liked the book up until that sexy elf bit, and I'm like, I I'm sorry. I Funny. I don't know why I kept reading it. I just so, did. <laughs> if you're a listener and you love those books, like sorry, sorry. this is we're sorry we don't like them, and I totally get liking them. There's a lot of things I totally that you get like liking them. them too, and I sure. also think Patrick Rothfuss is a good writer. Like there's agreed, definitely agreed. turns of phrase in there that I think are good, mm-hmm. and like probably and what concepts. kept me reading is wanting to know what would happen. It's yeah. more just that I feel like the most interesting character in the book is that love interest, and the books aren't about her. So that's yeah. And so, and you know, like one of the things that's cool is the concept of magic. It's funny. Yes. What got us on this tangent is like the magic in that book is cool and it It is is. kind of alchemical. It feels a little like similar to Full Metal Alchemist where you go and there's a very carefully controlled, like I think government run thing. Although I do feel like that book still runs into some issues where sometimes the main character can just seem to find a way to make magic work, even when I'm like, would it work that way? But it is a very like technically devised form of magic, which I think is fun. And there were, there were parts of the book that I really liked for that reason just from like a it's a lot of data about how magic mm-hmm. works and that can be very fun to read yeah which is fun and I think more and more like about yeah it's like somewhere on the spectrum of hard to soft magic I had mm-hmm. never really thought about that before I'm I'm now fascinated by categorizing all of the magic systems that I'm sort of yeah. familiar with you're gonna start making YouTube videos you think almost <laughs> this, no this but I, I do want to well maybe we could talk about it more on the show later like like the Witcher versus Dragon Age like versus you know Harry Potter versus mm-hmm. Star Wars versus the Matrix like all of these different major properties that I've been watching and how things work in them all. And that is very interesting. And so I like that video and that I'm glad the video got me to watch Full Metal Alchemist because I'm realizing, I think maybe it's just as the older I get, I like this stuff more, but like the more really well explained and consistent magic systems, those are really cool. So anyways, uh, Full Metal Alchemist, it's better than The Name of the Wind. (laughs) (laughs) It is great. I think most people will agree with us about that, even if they're sad that we don't like that book. Nice. Um, so let's do our music pick before we round before we wrap up. Um, so music pick <laughs> of the week is some, is I picked a tune by Billie Eilish, who I've been listening to lately. I'm sure everybody knows her. She is super famous and apparently like the hotness right now. Mm-hmm. This is a song called When the Party's Over from her new album, which is called When We Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? And I guess I want to talk about her a little bit. Let's just listen to a clip of this song, which I think is really beautiful. Um, so here's a clip of When's the Party Over, When the Party's Over by Billie Eilish. So this song in particular makes me think of that Imogen Heap song, um, Hide and Seek. Mm. It's beautifully arranged. The vocal, the vocals on this recording. So this record was produced by uh, 
uh, Billie Eilish and her brother, who goes by Phineas, who was an actor who was on Glee, apparently. I'm forgetting his full name. But so it's like a, they're, and she's like 17 years old. And yeah, he's, yeah, I don't yeah. think much older than she is. Like these are kids making this stuff. This album is awesome sounding and really, uh, it's really distinct. It's like, I'm trying to come up with words for it. And it's kind of like, like ASMR Xanax, mm-hmm. like sadness pop sort of she has a lot of like whispery sounds when she's singing and like just affected sounds yeah Mm -hmm. it's i mean it's a way of singing that's very distinct it's very close mic'd she is so close to the mic that i think the first track on the album is her taking out her invisalign before she sings and it's like (laughs) this gross sound kind of but you can hear i was listening to on headphones you can hear like you know her like glottal movement and stuff as she's singing like she's mic'd so hot and so close Mm -hmm. and it really gives you the impression of especially on this tune and when the party's over at the beginning it's almost all vocals and then it's the super spare like electronica production mm-hmm. with some pretty cool shit and then her aesthetic is kind of Marilyn Manson actually does uh-huh. that yeah. am I uh, coming out I, of nowhere I don't think that? I mean it's Marilyn Manson but for teenagers who didn't grow up with Marilyn right. no, Manson yeah, 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 yeah. and have it's, no it's, idea that that's even a similarity exactly. but yeah she exactly. does like her music videos have this very like sort of horror movie vibe I mm-hmm. guess it's whatever the version is of glam goth for our generation right. Is right. whatever the kids are calling it now. I don't know, but that's kind of her style. Yeah, I wonder if kids who watch her, who literally, you know, I'm so much older than people know, like right? who, her age. It's just <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. Like if they know of Marilyn Manson, because even there's that one song, "Bury a Friend," with that mm-hmm. kind of like da doom da da doom da, and it really reminds me of the beautiful people. Like the yes. groove even sounds like that Marilyn Manson song. Yeah, I mean, you know what? It's a classic. Yeah, it's a classic. And I know it really from playing drums in rock band to that song. But man, she's cool. Like these kind of like whenever a really young pop star or like singer comes up or rapper and like you know it's it's always interesting to look at what you know when I was 17 mm-hmm. <laughs> like I was like like I think back to when I was 17 I'm like okay so when you're 17 you're not fully prepared to do all of this stuff but every now and then people are like super good at coming up with shit like I, I think Fiona yeah. Apple was the person who wrote her first record when she was super young as well and like those mm-hmm. songs have she such was. a teenage vibe to them but mm-hmm. it feels really raw and, and mm-hmm. great and so or Lord Lord is a good yeah, example Lord yeah, is Lord's the one everybody yeah and so it's kind of fun when a teenager is able to like put those you know sad horny lyrics to a really good song i mean i hope her life turns out okay it's also really hard to be in the industry when you're that young Mm -hmm. but i don't know she's working with her brother so maybe things are okay maybe she's not working with some creepy producer i totally agree about that though i like that they're working together and making this stuff together i feel like just i don't know like (laughs) working with my sister would have been really cool especially at that age when you are very vulnerable and her music is very vulnerable and Mm -hmm. you know uh, very real so she's tapping into somewhere really dark in a lot of the stuff which you know 17 year old tapping into really dark stuff to communicate these truths to the world is that's yeah, a lot yeah but then you know? also so, like going number one on iTunes or whatever or maybe yeah. not number one but she's like been very popular really big yeah. very quickly so that's mm-hmm. always kind of stressful too yeah, but yeah. But so it's nice to know that she and her brother are kind of doing it together but anyways yeah I think she's cool I listened to it on a whim just someone was talking about it I was like okay I've heard this name enough times I'm gonna check it out really mm-hmm. I like liked the whole album I was like wow this is a fucking cool album so yeah, she seems cool to me too. I I mm-hmm. just like her 
music videos are really weird and yeah. I, I like to yeah. see what the kids are into i guess yeah, i'll also funny. mention like i mentioned this to you but there's this oh, yeah. really funny like since billy eilish has such a distinctive musical st- style like of course mm-hmm. it's ripe for parodies and ava victor who's ava and harriet on twitter like made a really really funny parody of her, of billy eilish that is like an original song that she wrote i guess called when the fire's happening and it's herself like having lit a pan on fire in her kitchen and then singing like a billy eilish-esque over dramatic song about the fire and it's really fucking funny and people should watch it that's all nice (laughs) but it's like you can only parody someone if they have this extremely distinct style which for better for worse Billie Eilish definitely does and I don't know this is just a funny thing to parody it's very of the moment so it's funny her I hadn't watched any of her videos and had just listened to the album and Mm. had one take on it and of course it's very dark and you know it has that whole thing but watching the videos man the video for when the party's (laughs) over she's it's just her and she's singing and then she drinks this like like black blue like goo and then it starts coming out of her eyes and it's like all over her face while she's singing and I was like whoa what is happening it was a very different I mean now I associate that with the song but actually when I heard it I didn't have any visual associations and then yeah the bury mm-hmm. a friend video is like like a horror movie and has mm-hmm, all this kind of body mm-hmm. horror stuff in yeah it, yeah so. yeah yeah she's got the video thing happening too yeah it's great Billie Eilish man music pretty cool music it's pretty good all right well that is uh that is our our latest episode i think i think we're pretty much i done. think so we, um, this is our podcast about fantasy novels and <laughs> about music. fantasy novels and privacy and billy eilish cool. Welcome to Kentucky good, show. <laughs> good show so jason <laughs> and i'll be back next week to wrap up game of thrones god help us mm, we're gonna get this one luck. across the finish line it's been fun <laughs> and uh yeah maddie i guess i will talk to you in a week yeah and you until will until then Have a good weekend. You too. Kotaku Split Screen is an official podcast of Kotaku.com. It's produced by Kirk Hamilton, Jason Schreier, and me, Maddie Myers. Kirk edits and mixes the podcast and also wrote and performed our theme song and other music. We're a part of the Fusion Podcast Network, where Mandana Mofidi is executive producer of audio. You can find us on popular podcast services like Panoply, NPR One, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. And we hope you'll leave us a review if you like what you hear. Find old episodes at kotaku.com slash splitscreen. Email us at splitscreen at kotaku.com. 